we have been talking about uh, seeking God. A real church, real people seeking a real God. And I was just sort of shocked in my spirit this week whenever the Lord began to deal with us about the direction to go in preaching because it seemed like we're flopping over to the other side of that. But if we don't understand the importance of seeking God, then we're not going to be victorious like we need to be. Seeking God, worshiping God, honoring God. So with that in mind, what we're going to preach about for the next while, I'm sure this will involve more than one message, is put the devil in his place. Go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 4. And let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to put somebody in their place? Huh? You know what that means, don't you? It means that you tell them what you think about them. You tell them where they're wrong. And sometimes you even tell somebody where they're right puts them in their place. But very most often the term putting somebody in their place is negative. Now, we feel positive about it, you know. If, if Pat is irritating me and he just keeps on and keeps on and I finally flare up about that and I put him in his place, then I feel good, but it's created a negative situation. Now, when we think of it, though, in relation to put the devil in his place, I don't mind that being negative because there's really nothing positive about the devil anyway. You understand that, don't you? But sometimes we don't, we will, people will need to be put in their place where they, where, where they need the role they need to be working in. I mean, there's sometimes, and it's not often, but sometimes a husband will need to put his wife in her place. Like I said, that's not very often. Probably more often than that is a wife needing to put her husband in his place. Now you're getting involved with what I'm preaching about, okay? <laughs> Sometimes an employer or a supervisor, a boss at work, will have to put an employee in their place, bring them where they need to be. And then sometimes that supervisor needs to be put in their place. And, and so when you, put, when, you're, when you do this, you're saying to someone, hey, look, that's not your role, that's not where you are, and that's not what you're going to be in my life. So when we think about that in relation to putting the devil in his place, then we've got to be willing to say to the devil, hey, look, that's not who you are, that's not your role, and you're not going to have that place in my life. Okay? But we don't do that so many times because we feel intimidated or we feel afraid. You know, we have let the situation go to where, man, I need to say something, but I'm afraid to say something. Right? And the devil is the biggest intimidator that has ever been in the history of the universe. Intimid See, God's not an intimidator. God will gently pull you to him. God will show you where you're wrong, but more than that, God will show you where you're right. The devil never shows you where you're right. 
Because if he can get you to do something that seems right, then he takes that and uses it against you to make you feel rotten. Okay? So, when we think about this, I want us to go to James chapter 4. We're going to read 10 verses this morning. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. From where comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not uh, even from your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now, I'd like to be able to preach about prayer and answered prayer and not getting answered to prayer, and maybe sometime or another we'll do that. And this is not, the whole Word of God is relevant, but this is not really relevant to what I'm preaching to you about this morning. I just want to read it to you, okay? So that you'll know that the reason we don't get is because we don't ask, and the reason we don't get when we do ask is because we're asking under the wrong pretenses. And you know something, folks? God knows our heart. You can fool me. You can fool Gary. Well, probably not as easy as you can me. He's got a prophetic uh, motivational gift on him, and he can see through people easier than I can sometimes. And I mean, that's not bad. Not bad. Okay. Good. We've got to have that in the body of Christ. Okay. But, but you can fool me. You can fool Gary. You can fool your husband. You can fool your wife. You cannot fool God. God knows your reasoning for everything you do. So anyhow, that's not my message, so we'll just leave it right there. So let's go on. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not, that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's really not what we're going to preach about today either. I just want to read it to you. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now we're beginning to get down where we're going to talk about. But he giveth more grace, therefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Well, Pastor, what does that say about that thing about laughter and, and mourning and all of that, you know, and sorrow and all of that kind of stuff? Well, He's talking about when we come to the point of realizing there's sin in our life that needs to grieve us. Yeah, you know I mean, you say, oh, well, i got to sin in my life, but no big deal. Jody's got sin in her life, and that's no big deal. Wayne's got sin in his life. It's no big deal. No, if I know there's sin in my life, it ought to grieve me because I'm going to tell you something, folks. And when we take a lackadaisical attitude towards sin, then we're never going to win a battle over the devil. He'll use that thing. And when we realize there's sin in our life, it needs to grieve us. Can I, can I tell you this? When we sin, it grieves the heart of God. But God's mercy and grace is bigger than that. Right? Thank God for that. So, so we, we, but here's where we want to come to. is putting the devil in his place. Now, I said that a lot of people won't do this because they feel intimidated. They feel that Satan is just so powerful and so wise, and I really don't have any way 
that I can stand against the devil. Now, can I tell you that last part of that statement is just as right as it can be. I don't have any power that I can stand against the devil. I mean, I, I, I tell you, 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 let me tell you how, how you can do this. The next time Satan comes around to you, you look at him and say, in the name of David, Carol, you leave me alone. Now, when he gets through laughing, <laughs> he'll come at you worse than ever has. But now here's the thing, folks, that we get realize, I'm not in me. I'm in this flesh. I'm in this body that you look at. And when you see this body, you know that's David Carroll, right? But this, but me, the who I really am, is in Christ Jesus. And that's where my strength and my power and ability comes from. It's from knowing who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than victorious. Folks, let me tell you, I'm a child of the King. I'm beloved. I'm accepted in Him. Amen. And you are too. If you're a child of God, you are too. Oh, but I just don't feel... No, no, no. Listen. Satan will use your feelings against you. Now, I love to feel. I do. And, and probably we're going to get to feeling before we get done this morning, okay? I love to feel. I love to... I love to feel the presence of God in my life. But I love the fact of knowing that whether I feel it or not, He's still there. He's with me. Like I've said a lot of times, if you ask me in the morning when I first wake up, do you feel saved? I would probably tell you no, I feel sleepy. But if you ask me if you believe you're saved, I tell you, yes, I believe I'm saved. And sleep hadn't got nothing to do with it. When I'm tired late at night, I still know I'm saved. When I go through the hard battles that Satan comes against us with, I still know that I'm safe. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm victorious. I know that I'm an overcomer. I know that I'm accepted in the beloved according to the world. I know those things. And I walk in there. See, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with feeling. I love feeling. I, we're people. We're creatures of feeling. But folks, I'm telling you what, when I got born again, I became a creature of faith. It took me a long time to realize that, just like it has many of you. But I'm a creature of faith. I know that 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 I know. Satan can't take that away from you when you get that way. Now, we don't come against the devil because we feel intimidated. Now let me announce to you this morning, every one of you sitting right here in this room, if you are a child of God, and I just feel you are, and I'm not trying to put you in heaven, don't, don't think, well, Pastor, say we're all children of God. I don't have to do nothing else. No, 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 no. But I know from our talk and, and your profession and things of that nature that you believe that you're a child of God. Now, if you don't, you need to become a child of God. And if you've got to the point to where you feel like that you're not a child of God, you need to renew your relationship with the Father today through Jesus Christ. But every one of you in here today, listen to me. He said this to those disciples, and it wasn't just the twelve. Some people said, well, that was just for the twelve. No, he said this to seventy, plus the twelve, plus all the others that was listening. And he said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, I give unto you. Now, I want everybody to take your finger and hold it like this. Come on. 
Everybody help me here. And point it this way. That's the you. I mean, point it at yourself, not at me. <laughs> I'm not the only you in here, okay? That's the you he's talking about. You're the you. I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Everybody say nothing. Nothing shall by any means harm you. Now, folks, that ought to build you up some right there. Let, let me just break it down a little bit more this way. He said, I give you power. The word power there is, in the Greek, it really means authority. Authority. I give you authority. That authority is like jurisdiction. You know, where, where you play. Where you play. I think about Hunter over here. He plays what? Uh, safety. And he has, in that defense they run, he has a certain jurisdiction, right, that you're responsible for. In that jurisdiction, on defense, you're the authority. You see what I'm saying? The police have a jurisdiction. And they're responsible in that jurisdiction. Not just in the city limits, but in the jurisdiction. And they're responsible to keep down bad from happening. And then to see to it when bad does happen. They have that responsibility. Now this is what he's saying to us here. I give you the responsibility to overall the power of the enemy. Now the word power there is not jurisdiction. Satan does not have jurisdiction on this earth as far as you and I as Christians are concerned. Now I know that, that he told Jesus, he said, I'll give you all the kings of the world because these are mine to give. And when Adam sinned and transgressed, that he fell and Satan reached out and grabbed the kingdoms of this world. But that's all he's got. He does not have the authority to run those kingdoms because when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave you and I the authority over all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and you and I have the jurisdiction over them. The authority. The authority. And he said, nothing shall by any means harm you. And, and it's just, you know, it comes down to this. It'd be just like turning the light switch on in the building. Joe Wheeler has the power, the electricity, the power coming in here. But do you know this morning, that did not do one thing to light this room until the person with the authority reached over and flipped the switch. Right? Now I'll tell you, and it's going to light, it's going to be on until someone with the authority reaches over and turns the switch off. Even though the electricity is still going to be coming to the building, let there be light. Even though the electricity is still going to be coming to the building, it's not going to be doing any good because the ones with the authority has shut it off. Now that's the authority that Jesus has given you and me over the devil. We have the authority to shut him down. To shut him down in our lives to shut him down in our families. But one problem has happened. We've let this thing go too long to where we just sort of feel like, oh, what's the use? We do that way with our children. 
you know, well, what's the use? I mean, look, after all, they don't got to be 15 or 16, and there's just nothing else I can do with them. You have given in to a lie of the devil. And if you waited till they were 15 or 16 to start trying to control them, then you gave in to another lie of the devil. And so, but you have the authority over your home. Fathers, mothers, Christian parents together have the authority, and you have all right to say, No, Satan, you've taken your hand off of my child right now in the name of Jesus. Now, now I grant you, a 15 or 16-year-old sometimes may need to be beat up, but you're not going to accomplish nothing by beating them up. But if you'll turn around and beat the devil up because of them, then you can begin to see things change in their life. I know sometimes when, when children's that age, you want to, Punch them. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but we have that we have that authority. Now, let me get on here. I'm, I'm, I told Bo, I said, put in all these scriptures, but I'm probably not going to use them today. Now, we have to determine to give no place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Now, he's talking about some other things there. And the things he's talking about in this portion of Ephesians 4 has to do with our relationship with other people. One place that Satan runs so rampant, especially in this day and time, I'm trying not going to get, to get off on a political stool, but all of this junk about political correctness has got into the church and into the families and it's hurting people because you ain't got no right to say that. You know. I, Lord help me. Yes, I'll move right on. One of the biggest areas that we have problems with is in the area of forgiveness. Satan will jump on that in an instant. I mean, he, he'll, if, a, if a wife feels that the husband has wronged her, and she gets bitter, and he's not willing to forgive and make this thing right, Satan jumps right in the middle of that, and it's not long until a family's destroyed. And it's the same way in church. I mean, you know, I thank God for our church. Our church is a unique church because we've got people that work on it here in our church, and you don't know what a blessing that is to me. I sat around with some of these other pastors and hear them talk about this junk and that junk going on. I thought, really? You know, sometimes... That's the fault of the pulpit. <clears throat> when that pulpit can be preaching unity and love and, and walking in the, the blessing of the Lord and the grace of God and preaching about forgiveness and that pulpit being willing to forgive. You see, that starts up here. If I'm not willing to forgive, how can I preach to you about forgiveness, right? If I'm not willing to love regardless of what's going on, how can I preach to you about it? When people begin to get at odds with each other, whether it's in the home, church, at work. Now, and I know everybody you work with is not sweet little angels, are they? I mean, you know, they're pretty good folks, but still they're people. And situations are going to come up and happen. You can't keep it. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 17, said it's impossible but that offenses would come. He said they're going to come. But woe be unto him through whom they come. 
It'd be better for him that a millstone was cast about his neck and cast in the deep that he would offend one of these little ones or would offend anybody. I mean, there's some people that, man, their whole life is centered around see if they can offend you. Jesus went ahead and said this. If your brother sin against you, turn and forgive him. If he, forgive, if he sins against you seven times in a day, then forgive him seven times in a day. Now, we're not going to go look at this scripture, but it's found in Luke chapter 17. So the disciples said to him, said, well, increase our faith. In other words, they said, boy, it takes faith to do that. But boy, Jesus had a word for them. Do you know that you and I as Christian people, because God has forgiven us, we are obligated to forgive other people. Now, Jesus said this. He broke right in there. They said, increase our faith. And Jesus said, okay, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say this mountain. Be thy removed, cast in the sea, and, and, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe it, it'll happen. Say to this sycamine tree to be plucked up by the roots and cast in the sea, and it would happen. But listen, he went right back to this thing about forgiveness and our responsibility to forgive. Let me show you what he said. He said, which of you having a servant that when he comes in from the field, you tell him to go ahead and fix me supper, and he fixes you supper, and, and, or you fix him supper, you're the servant, and he sits over in the, field, in the corner until the supper's done. And he says, all I've done is what I was supposed to do. Now, I know there's a lot of other teachings about that verse, but think about this for a minute. When you forgive somebody, all you've done is what you're supposed to do. Folks, it don't take faith to do what you're supposed to do. It takes obedience to do what you're supposed to do. Now, that's not diminishing faith. I mean, we, we walk in faith. But you think about it this morning. The situations that's come up in your life, you're not clear of that if you were the offender. You're not clear of that or if you've been offended. God, turn around. If you've been offended, you're not clear of that until you forgive. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, if you don't, Satan jumps right in the middle of that and causes problems and strife to take place. And we, we are told in Ephesians 4, 27 again, he said, give no place to the devil. Unforgiveness gives not only place, but almost gives him free reign in your life. You say, well, why do we preach on this so much? Well, because we need to be constantly reminded. Okay? Hey, can I tell you? I get offended. I do. But I've learned how to deal with it. I release it and let it go. I don't stay offended. I'm not going to stay offended. And if you feel like you've offended me in any way, I'm not, I've not even waited to ask, for you to ask me to forgive you. I've already forgiven and let it go and go on and move on from that kind of thing. And if you feel like you have, I don't know of anyone in here that's offended me. Okay? But if you feel like you have, ask me and I'll forgive you. You know why? Because I want to. I don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Okay? Now, in Isaiah chapter, I skipped over 2 Corinthians. You notice that, Bo? In Isaiah chapter 22, well, let me come back. I, while we're talking about that, We'll do First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter ten and eleven, chapter two, verses ten and eleven. 
Paul said this, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. And listen at verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, or we're not ignorant of his devices. You see, in unforgiveness, Satan gets an advantage. He gets the upper hand. Don't be ignorant. And whenever you see strife beginning to come, don't get down on people. Get down on the devil. You mean talk to the devil? Well, I'm going to show you that. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, this is a prophecy concerning Jesus. And, in, and he says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. That's talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus, when He came to this earth, He left all of His heavenly power and authority in heaven. And that did not come back upon Him anything that resembled heavenly power until He was baptized in the Jordan and was filled with the Holy Ghost. He received that same power. Folks, when I get a hold of this, the same power... He received that day is the same power that you and I receive when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we open up our life for the fullness of the Spirit, uh, whichever way you want to call it, filled with the Spirit. That's the same power that came in Jesus comes in you and me. So Jesus went out in that power and He went out in the wilderness to be tempted to the devil. He was there 40 days and Satan came to Him and said... uh, if, if just turn these stones to bread. Jesus talked to the devil. Somebody said, I'm not going to talk to the devil. Well, you need to. You need to understand that he is an enemy set against you. Peter called him our adversary. He's set against you, and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. That's, that's his process. Steal the Word. Kill your spirit and destroy you completely upon this earth. That's his goal. That's what he's shooting for. He's your enemy. Just like if somebody were to come into your house and, and, and going to do something to your family, you're not going to just sit there and say, oh, I, I really wish you wouldn't do that. No. You'll rise up with everything you can get a hold of, right? And, and, and stand against that. I mean, I mean, I got a 9mm, I got a 12-gauge with buckshot in it. Don't come in my house to think that you can mess with my wife because I'll pray for you while I'm pulling the trigger. Now, if I'm there by myself, we may can do different. But if it's my family, don't mess with them. But why? And we'll do that. All of us men will do that. You know, we'll stand. And, and women, I, a lady was sitting behind me at the ball game uh, Friday, Thursday night, and her little child had gone down. She said, don't go down, don't go down. He went down. He come back a little bit crying, hold his little arm, you know. And he, she said, what happened, darling? The girl pushed me down. She did. And she got all up about it. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, you need to get up about it, but you should have got up about it when a little boy wouldn't listen to you. Now, anyway, you know, get all up about it. When it's involved people. But then we're quiet back now when it comes to the devil. So, you know, I really don't want the devil to hear me because he might. Hey, let me tell you something. You've got to come to the point to where you're not afraid of the devil. 
Come talk to him this way. Jesus went through these temptations. He used the Word of God. And he came down to the last one, and Satan said, Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Get hence, Satan, in the King James. And that's Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 in the New Living Translation. This is what Jesus said. Get out of here, Satan. And I don't believe he said, Now, now you go on. Go away, Satan. No, I believe Jesus rose up and said, Get out of here, Satan. Now, the Scripture said, You must worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus spoke to the devil in Matthew chapter uh, 23, or chapter 16, and verse 23. Peter said to Jesus, Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Well, he was talking to Peter. No, he was talking to the spirit that was driving Peter to say these things, and he recognized it as being the devil. He said, Get behind me. And actually, the, uh, the literal Greek said that Jesus turned from Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. I don't want him behind me because he could run up there and there's no covering on the back of that armor. Oh, let me tell you something, folks. It don't make any difference. Jesus has got your back when you're walking in faith. He'll take care of you. Now, this is what Jesus said. Jesus had the key. God had given him that. And in, in this same chapter, 16, back up in verse 19, when, when they, Jesus had challenged them to who? That men said he was, and Peter had spoke out, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said this. He said, Simon, you're blessed. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And we're reading this from the Amplified Bible. I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind, that means declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, declare unlawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. Now the King James says bound, binding, and loosing. Binding. How many have ever bound the devil? Come on now, be honest with me. You ever, you ever said to him, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus? That's a good thing to do. But did you notice he didn't stay bound? Did you notice that? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? And I, I, one time I, I pondered over this. I said, Lord, help me understand. If he's not going to stay bound when we bind him, help me understand what this is trying to say to us. Now, Jesus was constantly doing things to override, overthrow, and undo the works of the devil. Constantly. Everything he did was to undo the works of Satan when he was here on this earth. And we can't kind of tell you this, he's still working today. But he's working through us. And when he said to bind him, to me, and this is what the Spirit of the Lord showed me, that's like putting somebody in handcuffs. Now that person's in handcuffs, they're not dead. They're not through. Because so many of them, when they get their hands out of those handcuffs, they go right back. But during the time they got their hands in the handcuffs, they can't do their work and their mischief. It makes it hard for them to operate. And when we rise up in faith and say to him, Satan, I bind you in this situation. 
and we keep reminding him of that, and we keep telling him that, then, folks, it gets to the point to where Satan is not able to work like he'd like to work, and you see the power of God taking the victory in that situation. So many times we hear people say, well, I tried that one time and it just didn't work for me. No, I'm talking about constantly. Satan don't quit, so why should we? He's, he is, he's got a, a tenacity like a chihuahua. He keeps barking and barking and barking and barking and barking and barking. But you and I need to have a tenacity like a bulldog that don't just bark, buddy, they bite. And when they bite, they hold. They rip and tear. And when we come against Satan on a continuous basis, that's exactly what we're doing to him. And we're overthrowing and destroying the works of the devil in our family and in our lives. Amen? Now you can give the Lord a hand clap. I'm telling you, folks, we have let him intimidate us too long, and the intimidation's over with, and we need to say today, today, Satan, you have intimidated me for the last time. And, and don't let this thought go through my, yeah, but what if? He's got you intimidated right there. Don't play the what if or or the butt game. Okay? Now, he's under our feet. Satan is under our feet. In Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Now, he's going to show you beginning in verse 19, but I'm going to read a couple of verses before that. I want you to listen to this, and then we'll... See the rest of this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Talking about the knowledge of the Lord. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And that's been my prayer for this message this morning, that during this time the eyes of your understanding would get enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints And then what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He displayed in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, I like this, far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and everything that is named not only in this world, anything that you could imagine could ever come up in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things. Everybody say all things. And has put all things. Let me, let me just stop right here. All things includes those things that's bothering you. All things are those things that you've been putting up with and tolerating in your life. That's part of all things right there. At that, you know, this, this difference right here between the all things here and the all things of Romans 8, 28, this is talking about everything. Romans 8, 28 is talking about things that pertain to God and the Spirit of God, that they work together for our good. Let me tell you something, folks. Everything in this world don't work together for our good. Right? I've heard people stand at a 
coffin of a young man that died with cancer and say, well, you know God works everything for our good. What good is it to a wife that's left with children that she's unable to do anything for? Oh, no. The thief. The thief. I'll always remember that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, Pastor, don't people die? Yeah, but let me tell you this. Folks, there's nowhere in this Word, nowhere. And I've been in this Word for, uh, for 48 years. And nowhere in this Word have I found that it says that you're going to be sick to die. I've never read that. That's a different message. All things. He has put Him above all things because all things are under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church. That's us. Which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all and in all. Folks, that's us. We're, he's the head. We're the body. Right? He's, he's above, and if He's above, we are too. You say, but we're not in heaven. In heavenly places where He raised Him up to means a realm of authority that God put Him in when He gave Him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things on earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a realm of authority that He put Him over. Remember Jesus said to those disciples, all authority, all power has been given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. You remember Him said that? And then He said to us, He said, I give you authority. Why could He give us authority? Because He has authority over all of these. He is in a realm of of authority. Sure, he's seated at the right hand of majesty, but he has a realm of authority. That's the heavenly places. And you go on down in, in, in the next chapter, in verse 6, it says that he has made us alive and raised us up to sit together with him in heavenly places, in that realm of authority. And folks, we have this authority. We need to get it in our head. We need to get it in our heart that we have this authority and that we can speak to the devil just like Jesus did. We can command him according to the Word of God just like Jesus did because he gave us that right. He gave us that authority. And he rose then over all of these things and he's become the head of the church which is his body. And understand this, that if the, if the body, is, if he's the head and we're the body and all things are under his feet, then they're under our feet. Well, don't that mean the, the church as a whole? Well, if it is, the church as a whole needs to wake up. Let me tell you, because I'm in the body of Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I know I, I'm am, but I just feel like I'm just the little, the meat on the bottom of the little toe. Can I tell you something? You're still above the devil. You're still in the body. You're still part of it. And you have the right to tell the devil, you're under my feet. You're under my feet. Y'all stand with me just now. We're going to do something different. Oh, listen. This song, I want us to understand that it talks about, I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. And he's under my feet. And when we get to that part, I want you to begin to, to, to do some walking on the devil. You say, I don't want to do that. Come on, folks. It's time that we take some authority. And if you can't do it play acting, you can't do it in reality, right? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. 
y'all for being in, in season and out. Hallelujah. Now, you say, well, what did that accomplish? Well, it accomplished whatever we wanted it to. Now, listen. You say, well, I just can't do that in front of people. Well, most of you is not in front of people. <laughs> You're standing behind somebody. Get back there in that bedroom and do it. They, Folks, let me tell you, there's been times 
But I've walked from the house to the church and said, Satan, you're under my feet. You're under my feet. You may try to hinder and interfere, but you're under my feet. You're under my feet. I've done that in the back bedroom. I've said that about my family. I've said it about the church. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. And I believe that. I've got the right and authority, and, and I can, I can I almost looked at Bill and said this, but I can look the devil right in the eye. <laughs> and tell him, I can say to him, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I mean, you can point at somebody that you know, hey, look, there's got to be an evil spirit involved in this, and say, evil spirit, I tell you in Jesus' name to come out of them. Quit tormenting them. Leave them alone. And and leave you. You've got the right and the authority to do that, people, to put the devil in his place. You've got that right. You need to do it. Stand up. I mean, if you can't do it in front of people, get back off out there where there's nobody around and begin to do it. Begin to take authority over the devil. And the more you do that, then if it comes necessary in public, you can take authority over the devil right there too. Jesus gave that right. When Satan come around to tempt him, he didn't say, Father, I wish you'd make the devil leave me alone. He didn't do that. Well, Father, would you, would you make him quit? No, he didn't do that. He stepped right up to the plate. And Paul didn't either. Paul didn't turn and say, uh, Father, would you take the devil off of me? Oh, but didn't he pray three times? Yeah, but then God told him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Then Paul rose up in that strength and power, and he told death. He looked death right now, and he said, No, I'm not going to die. i got a choice. I can go over. I can stay here. But I'm not going to die. I'm going to stay here because it's better for you than I do. Amen. Then a few years later, he said, Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept faith. And because of that, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not for me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. According to history, what we know, it was not many days, even hours, after Paul wrote that word until his head rose. Hey, you say, well, he didn't overcome it then. No, he said, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get on. But listen, folks, why would we want to live our life, stand against the devil, and then come to that point where we let him step in? Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, but listen, God knows what you've done. And can I tell you this? Satan knows what you've done too. He's putting condemnation on you. Satan is because of what you've done. But God's grace and love is telling you it don't make any difference. You're my child. Come to me. Come. Give me your burden. Give me your cares. And I'll give you rest. 